think the first trap that leaders fall into in the hybrid scenario is calling too many meetings and having unnecessary meetings and having meetings that are way too long. And so the thing I hear the most from teams is we have no time to work because we're always sitting in meetings. And this is, this is the honest truth. You know, you don't have to necessarily have a stand-up meeting every single day. There will be more to report if you don't, because people will have more time to get the work done. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. We're going back to a theme today that we've covered in other podcast conversations, both as a theme and as part of a a wider, broader topic. Uh, But it's a very relevant one at the moment. It's one that a lot of people are struggling with and coming to terms with. Uh, And so I think it, it, it actually bears revisiting and refocusing on, and that's leading teams in a hybrid world. Uh, as we've recovered from the pandemic, hoping that we're, we're not going into another winter in, in the northern hemisphere uh, of challenge, um, we're, we're readjusting to a place where organisations and their teams are working out how they how they're going to operate. Uh, many want to stay working from home. Many organisations want to get people back into the office, and there's been a mix of uh, how different. Uh, organizations are responding. Uh, So my guest for this latest conversation on this topic joins me from Johannesburg in South Africa. Uh, She's a human potential expert um, who's an award-winning speaker and the author of five books. Uh, And she consults the senior leaders in business on developing their high-touch leadership skills, uh, particularly for a hybrid environment. So Nikki Bush, welcome and thank you for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. That's a great pleasure, Andy. Well, let's go straight into this. There's something uh, I mentioned in your introduction that may have had people raising their eyebrows and, and, and thinking, he said what? So let's go straight to that. Yeah, you, we, I, I mentioned that you help senior leaders develop their high-touch leadership skills, um, which, which sounds like it could be a bit dangerous. It could be a bit, a bit awkward in some places. So, so I think we should define that. So, so what do you mean by high-touch leadership skills? Yeah, so Andy, I know that uh, you and I and many people who work in this field talk about bringing empathy to the table. And really, what does that mean practically? And I get into the nuts and bolts of how do you actually do empathetic, engaging leadership. And actually, my background, my first 10 years in business was actually in public relations. And back in the day, we talked about the chairman or the CEO walking around on the factory floor, connecting with employees face-to-face, shaking hands, etc. Now we live in this hybrid environment where some work is done in the office, some work is done virtually. And whether you work virtually or whether you work uh, in the office together, high touch doesn't necessarily mean physical touch, but it does mean deep 
listening. So touching people on an emotional level. So plucking those emotional cords, making sure that when we are online or when we are in person, we actually discover and nurture the art of presence, emotional presence, if not physical presence, emotional presence, where we make eye contact as much as possible, where we give people our time as a gift without the distraction of devices, and where we actually engage in deep listening, which means that we're actually asking or answering the three fundamental questions that everybody asks of us every single day if we're important in their lives. And believe it or not, we ask the same questions of people who are important in our lives every day, be it our boss, be it our Uh, very close colleagues, or maybe it's our partner at home or our children even asking us these questions. And the questions are, do you hear me? Do you see me? And am I important to you? And what I mean by that is, if you say, uh, do you see me? It's, do you see me beyond my physical body? Do you see me? Do you see all of my potential? Do you hear me? Do you hear the words I'm speaking? And do you hear the words I cannot say and the spaces between the words? And am I important to you is where do I fall on your agenda? And people are so perceptive. They know without you even having to to answer those questions because you don't have to answer them verbally. They actually get a sense of how you have answered those questions every single day. And what every human being is looking for is three yes answers. And if they start getting regular no answers, then they start to withdraw. They start to stop giving you their discretionary time, attention, and energy. And this is where you run the risk of not retaining staff. Because at the end of the day, Andy, we're all playing the attention game. And I know that there's a lot of complex management theory out there, but, you know, we need to start speaking human. And when you speak human, you connect not just head to head or mind to mind, but also heart to heart. And this is the key to empathetic leadership. This is the key to what I call high touch leadership. And it's what will engage your team because you are an engaged leader. And the problem is that most leaders come to the table and they say, we really need a more engaged team. And if our team was more engaged, they would be more productive and then we would make more money. But the fact of the matter is you won't get an engaged team unless you are an on-purpose engaged leader who shows up differently. There's a lot to unwrap there. Uh, I'm going to come back to the the core theme of the conversation, which is the the hybrid environment in a while. But I do want to delve into, I guess, a question that will go to the heart of what you just shared. So I said there was a lot within that. Um, What you have described with those three questions, I think, goes to the heart of Connected leadership, which is the title of this podcast, being connected to the people around you. And if you understand those three questions, and if you practice that, so you're getting consistent yeses from the people around you, then everything else that we talk about on this podcast and I talk about in my books will fall into place naturally. 
So I think that the, the one follow-up question I have, the, the, without digging into it, to every element of that answer, um, is do you, have you seen an evolution or a revolution in leadership style? We've talked on the podcast in the past about command and control and hierarchical leadership against a more engaged type of leadership uh, and whether we're moving towards that. Um, have you seen a shift in um, from the leader as manager to the leader as coach and supporter who uh, who brings out the best in their team? And, and where have you seen that done well and where do you think we're lacking that? Mm. Such an interesting question because I see both. I think hybrid has brought a lot of fear into leadership because traditionally leadership has been top-down command and control. And walkabout leadership in the pre-COVID times when you could walk through the office, tap someone on the shoulder, sit down and have a face-to-face off the cuff or intentionally gave you a sense of control that you could see, touch and feel. And now you can't do walkabout leadership. There's the temptation to micromanage because then you feel in control. We've also seen a big churn in restructures and in people moving from functional leads to leading people for the first time. And with that, there is also a lot of fear in that change. And with fear, human beings default to hyper-control or over-control. It is a natural default setting that we all have. And we need to become very, very aware of that default setting because the more you micromanage, especially if you're a brand new leader or somebody who, say, for example, has had COVID and has had a very close call with, say, death, Uh, either you were on a ventilator or you nearly went onto a ventilator, I have seen exceptional leaders who have had these very close calls with life and death come back into the office and micromanage their staff into oblivion and staff saying, but we've never seen this person lead like this before. This has always been a warm, supportive, empathetic leader who has turned into a tyrant. And that is fear talking. When everything else in your life is out of control, you will turn into this hyper-controlling leader wherever you can to make yourself feel better. Problem is, it comes across as, um, as draconian. And it comes across as, I don't trust you. You can't make decisions for yourself. Your skills aren't up to scratch. Uh, and, I, and I'm seeing this in a number of teams where people just want to jump ship because they don't appreciate being micromanaged. Then I'll, I'll, on the other end of the scale, I have seen clients who have adopted high-touch leadership styles where they have slowed things down to now. Because when there's a lot of fear, when you keep talking about the entire financial year, <laughs> that is scary. Uh, 
Everybody knows the KPIs. They know what the big goal is. Well, if you're a good leader, they do. You don't have to tell them every five minutes. But if you can slow it down to now and improve the quality of the one-on-ones you have with your direct reports, you can change everything. And I was involved with a, a, an amazing team in a digital transformation space uh, in the financial services sector. In December of 2021, out of the 30 senior leaders in that team, seven of the top leaders were about to jump ship and resign because they couldn't handle the micromanagement of the leader. And all we did, all I did in the coaching of that senior leader, of of, of their CIO, was to slow him down and change the quality and the framework of of how he did his one-on-ones with his direct reports. And he had a big team. That team of 30 had another 500 people reporting to them. And he just became intentionally personal and used deep listening techniques and slowed things down to last week and next week. And the kinds of questions that I coached him to use were things like this. So what didn't work for you last week? And then they'd have the opportunity to say anything they liked. What did work for you last week? And then he would ask, so what are your priorities for next week? And the final question would be, how can I help? Which was actually the ultimate reward. And it showed deep interest in the immediate now and the immediate past. And what what happened over time, in a very short space of time, was the level of trust and honesty that he built between himself and his senior leaders grew to such an extent that this team just became so committed, so high-performing, and they absolutely fell in love with a leader who they actually didn't like. And it was just a switch of his mindset and a different choice of words and a commitment to actually showing up for his people in a very high-touch way, but very simply so. Andy's new book, Just Ask, Why Seeking Support is Your Greatest Strength, is out now. Looking at the importance of asking for help and admitting vulnerability, it is an essential read in challenging times. Order your copy from Amazon and all good book retailers now, or visit andylapata.com forward slash just ask. It's interesting that you say the micromanagement has gone up uh, as, as a result of the move to more more of a hybrid workspace, where I imagine some people would would expect it to be the other way around, that if you're working in a different space to your team, that you have to trust them more. You have to give them the space to, to sit down and get on with things rather than being over their shoulder the whole time. Um, what I mean, I know you said that fear is driving this, but what is it in the in, in the practicalities of managing team in, in a hybrid way that lends itself to micromanagement? And how do you break out of that? Because I get all the slow down and so forth, and there's some really good tips within that. Um, but just boiling it down to the real basics, uh, how do you 
if you have to adapt your management style, how do you, you stop yourself falling into that trap in the first place in the way that you adapt your style to a team that are not in the office with you or on site with you? So I, think, I think the first trap that leaders fall into in the hybrid scenario is calling too many meetings and having unnecessary meetings and having meetings that are way too long. And so the thing I hear the most from teams is we have no time to work because we're always sitting in meetings. And this is, this is the honest truth. You know, you don't have to necessarily have a stand-up meeting every single day. There will be more to report if you don't because people will have more time to get the work done. And so we have to exert less control to feel more in control, which kind of sounds contradictory, doesn't it? So it's, it's important that we get feedback and that we use different modes to get feedback. Something as simple as WhatsApp, Andy, can be really useful. You could have a team check-in uh, on WhatsApp where you get every team leader to drop a two-minute status report. Because the minute you put them into a meeting, it's not going to be a two-minute status report. It's going to be a 10-minute status report. Or you have to start using uh, more features and functions that you have available, like a timer, where you can have a, a clock going on your screen and you can say, right, everybody's got five minutes. And when the five minutes is up, we, we pass the baton to the next person. So we've got to ensure that people don't hog the airtime. Uh, we've got to provide communication equality in these uh, many meetings that we have and then be very intentional about why you're having a meeting. And I think that sometimes the over-enthusiastic leader in hybrid wants to cram so much into one meeting. They want to have the social piece where they give everybody time to share something personal which is great because we, we really, really need to know what's going on in each other's lives to have empathy, et cetera. But that can take half an hour to an hour if you go through the whole team, depending on how many reports you have in that meeting. And only then do they get to the work piece. Now everybody's exhausted uh, because they've had 30 minutes of a catch up and you only need 10 people in a meeting where you have to share one thing each on what's going on in your personal life to get to half an hour or 45 minutes. And now you want me for another hour to do the work. So I tend to say, maybe you should have your social meetings separately and you must have meetings that are social, maybe with a very, very low grade agenda. Um, the thing is that we're also having these highly agendered intentional meetings and there, the water cooler conversation goes right out the window. And you find that people stop sharing the stuff that is the inside track, the intel that they heard via the via from a colleague in another division or in another company, because there's just no time in which to do that. So I like to see um, moments when we ditch the agenda, like having an open door, like you would have had in your office that from 7.30 till 8 o'clock in the morning, once I've dropped my kids at school, I'm in my office, my door is open. Even if you're not in the office, you can still have an open door, a Zoom or a Teams meeting where your, your line is open and anyone can drop in, shoot the breeze, talk about the soccer scores, talk about anything, the weather. And in between that, you find the intel finds its way to the surface. 
So you need to have those kinds of meetings where you ditch the agenda. Then you have to have the process-based meetings where there is a very, very clear agenda. And then you need to have separate meetings where you handle the social piece, where it's very intentionally about the meet and greet, the get to know, the new person on the team. I just ran a, a session today, a half-day session, um, with, with a team in, in a bank. And there were four people out of 16 who were new. What a wonderful onboarding experience today because they got a sense of the feeling in this team. And this was an in-person offsite. And I think those in-person offsites are becoming ever more important. Okay, so again, quite a lot to lot of questions that spring into my mind. So I'm going to ask you two at the same time to, to to have a look at, and then maybe I'll come back to a couple of other points. You started by saying we're having too many meetings. Uh, do you think that there's a fear of the team not being close enough, of not having enough communication, and that's leading to too many meetings rather than allowing the trust to be there? And is there uh, something we need to look at in terms of the number of people on a call? You talked about 16 people on a call. If you have 16 people on the Teams and a Zoom call, 15 are staying quiet at any one time. Um, so is it? do we need to scale down meetings that are virtual compared to those that are in person to give people more chance to engage? I think that's a fair point. Um, too many meetings and perhaps too many people on a call, which means some people can can hide in the background. And uh, I think that as a leader today, you've got to be part coach and part facilitator. And on the facilitation side, if you're running a meeting, you pretty much need to have a list of names in front of you, especially if it's a big meeting, to make sure that you hear from everybody. So you can tick off that these five people have had an opportunity and make sure that you give other people the opportunity to speak because there is wisdom in the room and sometimes it comes from the quietest of places. And we need to look at that span of control. We often talk about a span of control in management circles. And in hybrid, we need to replace the word control with span of attention. And you cannot have an effective span of attention if you have too many people, especially if we're talking one on, if we're talking direct reports. And that leader who I was talking about, who had 30 people, his direct reports, it was way too many, way too many. He couldn't engage one on one with 30 people in a week. And in hybrid, you really need to be getting to each of your direct reports for seven to 15 minutes for a one-on-one -on -one session every single week. And it's a check-in. It's not a job appraisal. It's not a deep dive. It's those few brief questions that I mentioned earlier. What's working for you? What's not working for you? What are your priorities next week? And how can I help you? And that should not take longer than seven to 15 minutes. And that you can only do for between five and 10 people max. So if your span of control is beyond 10 people, you really should be looking at how can you change that? And with that particular leader, um, he changed that to make sure that he had between three and five, and then they in turn had meetings with their direct reports. So that ratio, we do need to be looking at that ratio. And 
having you asked me, should we scale back or are we having more meetings because there's a lack of trust? Yes. And that came out loud, loud and clear in my session this morning with these 16 senior leaders who have about 500 people reporting uh, through to them. And the comment that was very interesting, which speaks to this conversation, was this. When we are constantly virtual and trouble is brewing, we tend to build monsters in our heads. And when we don't see each other face to face, we miss the visual cues, we miss the nonverbal cues, and we can misconstrue what people say. And the minute that we were in person today, and I had a process going, the feedback was undeniable. They said in their own words, we have created monsters in our heads. We are laughing. We've broken down the walls that were between us. It was all rubbish. And it was a perception. And so they actually decided today, instead of having a quarterly in person, which is what we usually do, they are going to run monthly in-persons. I will do, I will lead the quarterly ones for them because those have a very specific agenda. But they are quite entitled to gather together and have these in-person sessions where they can make sure that they are actually all on the same page emotionally and intellectually, and they're not creating fictitious monsters. You, you've talked a lot about the in-person events. And you've mentioned hybrid quite a lot. I teed up the, the conversation by talking about hybrid working. I think now is a good time to talk about the difference between hybrid working and a remote workforce uh, and, and what hybrid ideally looks like. Is it a hybrid? Um, is it that you have each employee works in a hybrid way. In other words, they're part of the time in the office and part of the time out, which goes to your in-person events. Is it that you have some people who are in the office and some people are out? How do you find the right hybrid balance rather than fully in the office or fully remote? Gosh, I think if I had the perfect answer to that question, Andy, I would be a multi-billionaire. Well, I get us closer. <laughs> <laughs> we all We are all involved in the hybrid experiment. And it is an experiment. And if anybody doesn't think it's an experiment, then I don't know what they're smoking. And there is no perfect out there. In fact, what's happened is, you know, when we sent people to work from home in the pandemic, it was one instruction. Go and work from home. And that was black and white. There was no discussion. It turns out it was easier to live with that kind of a decision than to come back into hybrid, because hybrid is ambiguous. Hybrid is full of gray. Hybrid is full of choice. And while human beings think they want choice, they're desperate for choice. As soon as they get given too much choice, they stress. And so it's causing an enormous amount of stress. Every team within or every, every department within a major organization must go and create their own, own hybrid mandate and just make sure that it's, uh, you know, however many days in a month or however many days in a week. And then you get in a, into a situation where every team now decides that they're going to have a meeting-free day. And 
for this division, it's on a Monday, that division, it's on a Wednesday, and that division, it's on a Friday. And, and it just doesn't work because that division needs to meet with this division. And now they can't come to an agreement. So it's a very, very tricky space to navigate. It requires an intense amount of communication and, and openness and honesty. And there is no one way to skin this cat, which is why I said it's an experiment. And you're going to have to try a bit of this. You're going to have to try a bit of that and see what works. Because remember, the other thing that we brought in on board with hybrid is autonomy for staff. And it's one of the things that we need to celebrate and protect. And that means that uh, people also get to say that they need to fetch their children like they did during work from home. <laughs> so there is so much to consider. And I think we go back to the micromanagement issue and trust. Trusting that people are going to get the job done that they're being paid to do. And that they are going to make it happen and make it work. But that means that we need to give our employees the opportunity to use their voice to provide feedback about what is and what is not working. This does not mean, Andy, that we need to be rescuing our employees all the time and pandering to their every need. It does mean that we need to bring them on board to shape what hybrid looks like for our team. And they also need to take responsibility for their role. And so it is about treating your staff with respect and expecting that they will respect the arrangements back. And we do tend to find that when people respect each other and trust each other, because everybody knows what the big picture is and what the deliverables are, that whether they work and do they work at midnight, and if you're a parent, any parent who has run their own business will know that you work before your children get up in the morning and you work when your children go to bed at night. That is normal because you want to get the best of both worlds. So if you're employed in a hybrid situation, it's a little bit like being an intrapreneur rather than an entrepreneur. You're being paid a salary, but you need to behave as an entrepreneur would, which means you take full responsibility for delivery and you do the work when you can, even if that means doing it late at night so that you can still fetch your kids and do all the things that you want to do because you're now in a hybrid situation. And so that is what I say to staff in my talks, is that you have to take responsibility. Self-leadership is the key. You need to be an intrapreneur, which means you think like an entrepreneur, you behave like an entrepreneur, even if you're being paid by the organization. And then you exist to serve. Everybody is your customer. And if you don't actually produce the goods, you don't get paid or you don't get promoted. And so I think we're actually moving to an interesting space where employees are actually going to be less dependent on the organization and take on more responsibility, which is a good thing. Yeah, I, I, and I think, you know, as you were saying that, what came to my mind is that this is a type of flexible working and uh, productivity-driven working arrangements rather than time card driven working arrangements that I think many people have wanted to see for a long time anyway so maybe the hybrid working is pushing us in that direction where we would like to have gone anyway and that really is about getting to know people 
getting to know all about them. And that, that is all about the questions that we ask, the quality of the questions that we ask, and how heartfelt are those questions. You know, you can have a leader who buys into doing the one-on-ones with their direct reports on a weekly basis and uses it as a tick box exercise. And you can tell the difference between that person, because I have, I coach a lot of senior people who tell me, you know, my conversations with so-and-so are heartfelt. They're He's, he's really interested in me, like really interested. I can't believe he takes the time to ask me these questions. Whereas they'll talk about somebody else who says, you know, she asks the same questions, but she doesn't mean it. And so I hold back and I don't actually share very deeply. So let's understand that people are so perceptive. Whether you're doing this face-to-face or whether you're doing it online, people know, they get it. And I think if you give people the opportunity to use their strengths to make a contribution to something bigger than themselves, they also get it. They get that you are giving them that opportunity because you trust them, because you know they have the skills, and because you want to see them be the best version of themselves, not a a better version of you. And that's another trap that many people fall into is that I need another me. So let's turn so-and-so into me instead of celebrating the uniqueness of each and every person in the team and putting that diversity to work. Um, so I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I think it's, it's in the intention. What is the real intention behind your connection with your staff? Yeah, it, it, uh, I, th- I think it, it does answer the question. I think there are many different ways to answer the question. Uh, but that attitude, I'm trying to think which one it was, but a, a recent, uh, in fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had an interview um, with Dr. Amy Bradley and Dr. Catherine Semler uh, about burnout. And I asked the question about how do you spot that burnout? How do you spot overwhelm in people around you? Uh, and uh, Amy said, it's not the questions you ask, it's the way you ask them. And, and your answer reminds me of that. It's the intent. And, and just like you, uh, Amy said, people know if you, if you genuinely mean it. Uh, and so I think that... You can share techniques to help people feel more engaged in those conversations with you remotely, uh, but they'll see beyond it being just a technique if you don't authentically want to make a shift and vice versa. And and to add to that, I think, you know, when we talk, we opened up talking about uh, the fact that empathy has become the buzzword in conscious leadership and connected leadership. And being an empathetic leader means that you bring your whole self to the table. You don't leave half of yourself out of the room either. And that means that you are listening with your entire body when you're listening, not just your ears, you're listening with your heart. You're listening with your whole being present in the room. You switch off your devices. You make sure that when you're having the 10 minutes with somebody, that is sacred time. And that you actually show them how, you know, I'm switching my phone off now because this is a very important conversation for me. 
I really want to hear you. Just by me saying those words positions the conversation. And if you were face-to-face, not in a virtual environment, they could actually see you switching your device off, closing your computer. You know, Andy, it's very, very similar when you're a parent. Your kids know that if you've come in from your office, whether it's a virtual office or whether it is the real office, if you don't switch off your phone, if you keep checking your devices, you are not present. And they know that. And your team knows that too. And by all means, if you're expecting a very important call from the CEO and you have teed this up and you've been missing each other, and Andy, you and I right now, if you you and I were having a one-on-one and I, I had this potential call coming in, as long as I said to you, Andy, I am not taking calls from anyone while I'm with you, but there is one call that I will take if you don't mind. So we go back to respect. And if we respect each other's time and each other's space, it goes a long way. And if we know each other, remember I said to you, know me, focus me, care for me. I need to know, Andy, whether you support Manchester United or Tottenham Hotspurs. No, I need to neither. know that. No, no, okay. no, no. <laughs> when, but I need to know who you support. I need to know how many children you have if you're in my team. I need to know if you're married or divorced. I need to know where you go on your annual holiday. I need to know what kinds of books you read. I need to know you so that when I chat to you, I can say, so, you know, in the Soccer World Cup, you know, did you see the score? Because I know you're interested in soccer. But if you're not interested in soccer, I'm not going to mention it. I'll talk about something else which proves I know you. you. You you mentioned helping people become the best version of themselves. Uh, I think a lot of what you've just said goes towards this question, but I want to sort of hone in on one specific way that you need to really be interested in your team and focus on the team, and that is nurturing talent. Is it harder to nurture talent when you're not based with them the whole time? And how do you focus in on helping people become the best version of themselves and helping them achieve as much as possible within the organization as they can? Because that has to be a hallmark of a great leader. Yes, so being able to elevate your team is part of your role as a leader. And that means you need to see people, not necessarily face to face, but you need to see them beyond their job description. You need to see them for everything that they are. And I I recently ran a very interesting session that we called From Delivery to Impact. And part of that session was delving into brand me. And everybody has their own brand, their own essence. And part of leadership is helping someone to dig deep into the essence of who they are and what they bring to the table. And it was a fascinating exercise. We, we, we got people, I did process work and then people went away and they, they wrote about, you know, what they bring to the table, what value they add, et cetera. And then they, they really struggled with this, let me tell you, and came back into the room and they shared this. And then I turned to the leader of this group who had followed the techniques that we've spoken about today. 
And I asked him to give his version of what he sees in each of these people. My goodness, did this man know his people. And I was able to then do this tap dance with him. And there was this one systems engineer who makes sure that this financial institution doesn't fall over. And, and it turns out, and I use these words, that this particular man is the black box of the organization. You know, we think about black box thinking and the black box in an airplane. You need somebody on your team who's the black box thinker. Uh, and so you can find other things that speak to the essence of people beyond their job description. We often get trapped in the job description. And people bring so much more. And this team I worked with today actually got it right at the end of the, the session. They said, you know, we've all got job descriptions, but if we're going through a tough challenge, we need to see who we need to pull in beyond the job description who can fix the problem. And it might not be the person you think it is. And that's about knowing your people really, really well. Who are the nurturers? Who've got the who's got the broadest shoulder? Who's the person who brings levity and lightness when things are really serious? You know, those are part and parcel of the essence of who people are. You can have someone who's qualified as an architect, who's working in a financial institution building financial products. That person will be happy as long as they are des designing and building things wherever they are. And you as a leader need to know that. And as long as you do, you will always know where to put that person or where to lead that person. Because if they know what you see, that's the, the art of, of leading. Do you share what you see? Because sometimes people have blind spots about themselves. And when this leader in this room could reflect back on the individual standing up, talking about what they thought they brought to the team and give them a slightly different perspective, it was just an affirmation of the fact that we don't all, always know what we don't know. And that's the value in, in being part of a team, is that the team often is a mirror for you and often reflects back at you things that maybe you didn't know about yourself. And once you do know, it enriches what you understand about yourself and what you're prepared to commit to the team. Nikki, uh, there's so much more I want to discuss with you. Uh, times are unfortunately against us, but uh, I, I think you've given both a, a very interesting overview, not just of what it takes to be a powerful leader in a hybrid environment, but what it takes to be a powerful and connected leader. Uh, and I think you can take the core of what you've, you've shared today and apply it whatever the circumstances, whether people are in the office or whether they're outside. So, so hybrid doesn't have to be as complicated as, as and as scary as we might think. And I think that's a really good takeaway for people. And there's a lot of good practical tips in there as well. So thank you very much for joining me on the Connected Leadership Podcast. It's been a privilege. Thank you so much, Andy. So so thank you to, to Nikki for joining me. I, I, if I'm looking at what I really took uh, overall from that, I think the starting point of uh, hybrid working actually leading to more micromanagement than less really spoke to me and we, we and I would have said this from the beginning that we have to trust people if we're going to uh, see them working away from the office and I've talked in the past on the podcast about bringing people back together in the office for the right reasons. This comes to the conversations you have with them and those three questions that Nikki shared 
that people will ask of you. Uh, you know, are you hearing me? Are you seeing me? Uh, all the questions around that, I, I think, are so powerful, and they go, as I said earlier, to the heart of being a connected leader. And, and it's that approach that will make the difference. Now, the areas that I didn't have a chance to get into with Nikki, a lot of it went into what we're going to miss out on by not being in the office together, the water cooler chats, the ability to find a mentor or a sponsor, the ability to build relationships with other teams. But the reason I didn't take the extra time and go into them is I think the answers were there in what Nikki said. If you are, if you know your team, if you have those deep conversations, then everything else will follow. You'll be able to support them finding the right mentor response. You'll be able to plug those gaps and recognize where you need to build relationships with other teams. So I think the answers to those questions are there without me posing them. Uh, and, and hopefully you can dig those out from there as well. What do you take from it? I would be interested to hear. I'll be sharing uh, a couple of quotes from this on social media. Feel free to come in and comment on those or drop me an email and be at lopata, L-O-P-A-T-A uk. And of course, whatever else you do, join me again next week for another episode of the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.